Wow. I had a meeting in the World Trade Center at 9.15 on 9-11, even though oh. I lived in the Bay Area. And that okay. meeting got canceled at the last minute. And I was still there in New York City. My husband thought I was in the building. But like, if I went through my life, it's been a series of these crazy situations where I was there or close enough that was like wake up call. Like you're supposed to do something in your life that's bigger wow. than what you think. And, um, and so when that happened, when that shooting happened, I was like, okay, God, you know, or whatever's going on, I've got the message. I am not supposed to just do my little normal life and just, you know, help people with their money. There's something bigger here. Welcome to the Innovative Founder, the show where entrepreneurs get real. real. These are the raw, the gut-wrenching, often hilarious, sometimes shocking, and definitely entertaining stories of innovative business founders who are making their beautiful dent in the world. No BS, no posturing, and no narcissists allowed. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the unscripted adventures on today's episode. Now, here's your hairless hosts, Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd. Hello, hello. Welcome, hello, founders. Hello, founders. How are all of you? Welcome. Welcome. Excited to uh, to be with you all today. we got a great interview coming up. But first, of course, we've got to know what's going on in the most interesting lives of Bob and Brandon. Yeah, we're probably this... This should air in the middle of the holiday season. Right. Um, so as of as of this recording, um, we are we are basking in the glow of the time between Thanksgiving <laughs> and Christmas. Basking. And uh, I did I did my annual deep frying of the turkey. Ooh, yeah. Turned out fantastic. I, um, I did a I did a whole turkey and then a turkey breast. And we did it just so we'd, so we'd have enough meat for everybody. Uh, I was kind of amazed and maybe I need to study science better, but the whole bird cooked in about 18 minutes and the turkey breast took about 32. Now the turkey breast is like the size of like two fists put together. And I'm like, oh, that'll take 10 minutes to cook. What I didn't realize is when you put the the, the carcass in, the yeah. oil seeps in the carcass and it seeps around. So like it cooks from the inside and the outside and it mm. cooks like that. Well, turkey breast, when you, you buy it individually, it's all packed yep. together. It's solid meat from the, so it has to cook from the outside in. Therefore, it doubled the time. Oh, interesting. It amazed, it amazed such brilliant minds that right. we're all like, what? Right. But yeah. But no, it was delicious. Uh, it was great to be uh, with family and friends. Uh, we had a full table after a couple of years of, you know, light tables and, and no tables because of uh, the pandemic. But yeah, it was good to be together with family. And uh, as always, we hosted and uh, had a good time. What about you? How was your Thanksgiving? Uh, real good. Real, real good. Uh, my son was sick. Uh, he got some kind of stomach something, so he didn't come with us. So I went and had a Friendsgiving here locally in Denver and and uh, everyone showed up and we had like three extra pies and we had some delicious stuffing and taters and turkey. How was there extra pies with you around? Well, you know, I'm not a pumpkin. See, I, my personal, I'm not a pumpkin pie guy. I, I brought the apple pie and left with the apple pie. Oh, there I, you go. I think pumpkin pie is is for like space aliens and communists. I, I'm still trying to like it. I don't, you know, if I, have I... To eat homemade pumpkin pie, I'm going to get a sliver and I'm going to slather it and cover it in whipped cream and ice cream to mask yeah. the taste. Yeah. So, that's what, that's what Arlene does, but yeah. I, I can't stand the taste of pumpkin pie. No, it's, so it's a texture I, I thing. Avoid too. It. 
It's yeah. a texture thing. It's it's like it's like rice pudding to me. I can't do it. It's a texture. I so just I'm... I just can't count on the the number of times that you have asked me to go take you for pie, and I right? never take you for pie. Well, there's a <laughs> there's a movie the movie Men in Black. There's one of the where he says you got to trust the pie. You know, one of the agents would say, "Oh, we got to go for pie." When he was thinking about something hard, so I think that's a good enough reason to go get pie. When you're like, oh, let's see if we can solve this problem and. Trust the pie. It's only when you travel. So you come to like, take me for pie. Yeah. Take me for ice cream. Yeah. You're, like, you're like the toddler that like Kinda. never grows up. Right. 214 pound toddler. You're welcome. Oh, mm. well, not now. Was that a humble brag? What? No. Like, like broadcasting no. your weight? No, I'd like to be 20 pounds lighter. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought you were no. humble bragging about like, no. oh, I'm, I'm 214. Okay. No, I'm a, no, I'm a panda. No. So. Nah. Um, I'm so excited about our uh, interview today, our show today. My gosh, had a, a Lisa Peterson, uh, author of The Mindful Millionaire, and uh, lives in Sedona and has an amazing story yeah. of uh, disruption, transformation, growth. Um, such a great talk, story that resonates. Talk about the universe putting her in some precarious positions oh, to catapult gracious. her to her messenger uh, calling. Uh, a couple of very traumatic stories. We we can't sugarcoat that. Uh, she's very transparent with those. Um, but if if you if you um, like money, if you hate money, if you're indifferent about money, you're really gonna want to listen to this episode. Yeah, I, I don't think Brandon and I have ever had a candid conversation about money that was so insightful. And somebody who has thought about money in such a different way. When did you say, Brandon? Absolutely. Like, I, I haven't heard some of the things that she has come up with, and they're very right. unique. And uh, Brandon and I have both already ordered her book. Um, you know, we 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 got the interview scheduled. We didn't have time to read it beforehand, but like um, we we've ordered this book, and uh, this is this is somebody that we want to know. Um, it, well, we'll tell you right now, uh, wealthclinic.com forward slash vision. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll mention that again later in the show, but uh, the, the book Mindful Millionaire, uh, Lisa Peterson, her, her name is spelled L-E-I-S-A. Um, really unique name, but um, yeah, just a wonderful, caring individual. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this interview and be sure to avail yourself of the resources that uh, she makes available in this interview. Enjoy. Welcome, Lisa, calling in from the beautiful Sedona, Arizona. Great to have you on the show. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. So what, what's it like in Sedona? Like everyone knows it's kind of very artsy, very spiritual. Like what's the vibe like in Sedona for you? It's all of that and more. Uh, <laughs> if you like mountain biking and hiking, we also have a lot of that to offer. I didn't know how hard mountain biking could be until I moved to Sedona and tried it and got a really cool bike and promptly fell and Ooh. didn't break anything. But, oh. um, but Sedona is awesome because it, it has something for everyone. The thing that is really funny when we first moved here, I was like, where else can you go and be in the vegetable aisle at Safeway having conversations or over, you know, hearing conversations about extraterrestrial landings. And <laughs> yes. like, this is Love super it. cool. Like, yeah. I have no idea what they're talking about. I have not personally seen an alien, but it is fun to eavesdrop on these conversations. Love That's it. great. Other than other than like Roswell, right? That was right. the only other place where <laughs> they would be talking about that. 
Yeah. Well, they, they have tours here, right? They take people out like every day to see the aliens and I'm just like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) you're like, what, when you meet the drivers, you're like, where do I start this conversation? Like, do you believe or like what? I I don't know. Yeah. 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 It's fine. I got to get some groceries, (laughs) but I want to see a spaceship. Can we just hit those? (laughs) Yeah. You know, awesome. I well, so so good to have you. And we pronounce your name right. It's Lisa. Yeah, Lisa. Awesome. Awesome. We're such a cool spelling. I never saw it yeah. spelled that way. So that must be your very unique person. And your parents recognized it the day you were born. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. My parents were about to become hippies, and maybe the name was the beginning yeah. of that journey, but yeah. born in the mid-60s. And yeah. Hippies were, they were like, I think officially hippies by about 1971. So, okay. I thought maybe they started and then aborted the process. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, good. They and is it any wonder, through. is it any wonder you ended up in Sedona then, right? Right. I know. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> Who knew? But that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. Well, Lisa, ride. we would love to hear what, what are you excited about right now? Personal life, business life. What's, what's got you all fired up right now? I'd say what has me fired up right now is financial freedom, like reaching this place where I don't have to work for money for the rest of my life. I have reached a place of enough, having enough. And I'm still figuring out because we don't live in a culture that embraces that idea that I have enough. Mm. I'm still learning what that means and how Mm. to be in the energy of I have enough and I can live my life in the way that will bring myself and my family the most joy just by being in that resonance of, of enoughness. Love that. What a great place to start. Yeah. Talk a little about your journey getting there. I mean, your background is in, uh, I understand, financial advisor. Um, you were in business development banking. You know, you were you were neck deep in in the world of money and, and got to, you know, learn all the narratives perhaps. And, and, and it, tell us a little bit about that journey, bringing you to here on this journey of having enough. So most recently it came from realizing that it was even possible to live that way. But Mm. I think my roots were coming from a home where my parents were hippies. They had not barely finished high school. They financially struggled. They were not taught about money from their parents, not in the way that was responsible. And so I grew up in a home where scarcity was the name of the game. We never knew if we had enough money to pay the house payment or the car payment. And my parents started a business and ended up losing all of their money in the course of getting this business started when I was mm. in you know, middle school, early high school. And so my journey (laughs) was coming from not having enough and then deciding at a really young age, like around eight, when I found out about money and like the fact that you could have dimes add up to like end end up being like worth $5 or $10. I was like completely consumed by the idea of compound interest by the age of nine. I decided that if I had money, then I would be happy because my parents weren't happy mm-hmm. and they struggled with money. So I just made that very simplistic assumption sure. and then proceeded to live my life for many years as if money was everything. Like 
how are you going to make it? And I started a business at eight and I worked really hard and lied about my age when I was just barely 14. Funny story, kind of. <laughs> I lied on a job application, got the counselor at school to kind of ignore what I had done, but I wanted a job at McDonald's of all places. Like, I'm not <laughs> sure why anyone yeah. would aspire yeah. to this, but I did. And it was the best first job, but I had to lie about why, because at that time in California, you needed to be 16 okay, and they wouldn't hire you, but I was two years younger than everyone else. And I had to explain why I always had a story of like, why was I only a freshman in high school? And why couldn't, why didn't I have a car? And wow. I just, a web of lies. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> a throne of lies. Yeah, just to get exactly. enough flips and burgers. Yeah, now that's totally. motivation. Yeah, it started young, but I was like, I'm going to do this. And by the time I was 16 and ready to quit McDonald's, I was like a manager. Like it was hilarious because wow. I worked so hard and I wow. loved making money. And so that didn't stop for many, many years. And I'll, I'll say that it may not have ever stopped. It may not have ever came to the point where I questioned whether or not this was really what I was supposed to be doing with my whole life, just being consumed by making money. But in 1999, my dad was brutally murdered by his ex-girlfriend and her oh. boyfriend. Oh, my. And... It was like a house of cards just ready to crumble. And I realized in the course of going through the grief and all the stuff that you could imagine a person goes through, realizing that someone not just died, but died in this, it was, there was Violent. a manipulation and all kinds of deceit and all kinds of bad stuff that my dad was a part of. Like, it's not like he was an innocent bystander. Like there was stuff right. that had happened. And we were estranged at the time. We had been estranged for almost 10 years by the time this happened, which even made it harder for me. But when the dust settled, I realized that I didn't know other than making money. I didn't know how to be happy. I didn't know how to live the life that I was really here to live. Mm -hmm. I did not at that point believe in God. Like I was really lost and it began a, a journey that continues to today that has changed my life, not just with the money, because it's not just about the money. Like I'm fortunate. We became self-made. My husband and I became self-made millionaires by our mid thirties, just a few years after this happened. Mm -hmm. But I also started questioning the assumptions of money and the assumptions of what I, the value I had given to money and that my self value was connected to the money. And, mm -hmm. and all of that started to rupture after my dad was killed. Wow. Wow. What a story. Would, would you mind sharing a little bit, um, Lisa, about what, what did that, that contrast of here you are, you're living a dream that most would envy and most aspire to, and then your world gets drastically disrupted and you're you're processing and you're coming out the other end what were some of the big things you had to let go because i read in, in your in your bio that it's about releasing a lot of things releasing narratives releasing um limiting i don't want to say limiting beliefs is kind of a you know pretty common term but what what was it for you what were some of the things for you that got so disrupted and dislodged that you realized this this just isn't true this doesn't work for me if you don't mind sharing yeah when i went through what happened in 1999, I found myself drawn to meditation and mindfulness practices and Buddhism for several years. And one of the first teachings I got from Buddhism that really sunk in 
was so simple. It seems so simple, but maybe not for people like me at that time, which was you are not in control of what happens to you in life. Mm -hmm. And, and the reason that was such a big deal is when you come from a lot of trauma and you come from the world that I grew up in, I mean, my dad was dealing drugs and I never knew if the FBI was going to bust our doors in and take him away. And his best friend went to prison for several years when I was growing up. And so I knew the risks. It was just constant state of fear of like, when are my parents going to get caught? When am I going to be taken away? Just all these narratives that were going on in the back of my head. And so what does a kid do when you're, you're raised in that environment? You try to control the world. You're like, if I can right. control everything, I yeah. will be safe. Yep. So the first big lesson was, oh my gosh, what if you're not in control? And when that question started to come in and I started to realize that, that maybe it wasn't as simplistic as I had made life to be, and maybe there was a whole bunch of stuff that I needed to learn to be able to handle and become more resilient and be able to greet life and to love what is rather than constantly trying to change the world around me to suit, you know, what I thought it was supposed to look like. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, that illusion of control. Um, I, I think that's that's a common reaction to trauma, isn't it? It's like, well, I can't control this and this, but l- what can I control? What can I? Because I mean, ultimately, like what we're looking for is stability, right? We're looking for some sort of solid ground to put our foot on. Otherwise, it feels like we're kind of just bobbing up and down in the ocean, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it it began to unravel all the narratives that I was holding on to that were causing me a lot of suffering and a lot of struggle. And I realized that even though I had broken free from a lot of the patterns my parents had had with money, I was still living inside of struggle. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, I wrote The Mindful Millionaire to chronicle this journey, um, my book, about what happens when we realize that maybe we've made money way too important in our lives than we should have? Because that's kind of the theme. One, the book is written for two people. One, like my parents who could never figure money out and struggle and can't figure out why it's not staying longer. Mm -hmm. And there's some stability. And and also for myself, here I am a self-made millionaire and I'm still unhappy. And I don't know where happiness comes from because now I've Mm -hmm. got everything I want and yet it's not bringing me the happiness I'm seeking. But as the work has progressed, um, I'm starting to work on my next book and it's, it's most likely to be called Unshakable Flow because what I think we're all moving towards in life is, a, is an understanding of what, it, what kind of resiliency do we need as human beings where we can deal with things that come at us, question our perceptions, question our beliefs about Maybe we're addicted to struggle, which is what Mm. I think (laughs) I had learned early in life. And I think most of the people are like kind of addicted to the struggle. And and so when we start to question assumptions, what does life look like when we're constantly questioning like the struggle? Like you're working on something, right? And you're like, this is so hard. It's such a Mm. slog. I'm in, I'm just, gosh, I just wish it would go away. And Mm -hmm. then you wake up to that and you're like, what if I look at this completely different? Like, what if I look at this as fun? What if I look at this as an opportunity? What if I look at this as something that's actually bringing me joy? 
what would happen to my life as a result of that? Mm. I love that. I, I, it reminds me of I'm, I'm driving down the road with my 90 year old mother a couple of years ago and my sister in the car, mom's in the backseat. I don't know what topic we were on. And my, you know, my mother is Italian and worked with her hands and has built houses and put additions on. She is the, the poster child for do it yourself, figure it out, fix everything. Don't buy anything new. She's just, which is so valuable in so many ways, but we're driving the road and I forget the time going, but, but she suddenly blurts out, well, if it's not hard, it's not worth it. And I about wrecked the car, pulled over <laughs> because that narrative, it got so embedded in, in my brain and in my psyche that if, if things didn't feel like work or hard or challenging, then I didn't trust it. You know? <laughs> and and I, I hear that a little bit of what you're saying about making money, you know, and this idea of the, the grind, you know, Bob and I talk about this with others as well as, so you know, the narrative around entrepreneurship is the grind, the struggle, the pride in the 12 and 16 hour days. And oh, look how, <laughs> look how much I'm grinding and suffering to make my dreams come true. And, uh, and I think there's a new narrative out there and it sounds like you're tapping into that. Yeah, I hope so. Because <laughs> it's not really very fun to live life. I mean, <laughs> that way. And this idea, I'm working on a project with um, some friends and, and it's about finding folks who are curious about this idea of play and like having life be filled with play and even our work and like setting a higher standard for what is something I'm willing to invest myself in. Mm. Going back to what I said, if I have financial freedom, I'm fortunate, but we don't have to have it to be able to say to ourselves, I refuse to work from a place of neediness or like I need the money. I need to work hard. Instead, it's like, I want to enjoy my life. I don't know if today is my last day. I am going mm -hmm. to live it fully doing the things that I really, really enjoy. And I'm going to find a way if, it, if, it, if it's possible to even make money doing that. Like, I think that's what a lot of us are asking ourselves. Mm -hmm. Hey, everybody, I know you are loving the show today, uh, hopefully as much as I am. Um, I don't know about you, but a lot of the uh, narratives I've learned about money growing up have certainly can be uh, a hindrance as well as a help. And uh, there's been a love-hate relationship with money. And, and I think a lot of the narratives out there that we learn in the entrepreneur space, they can be useful and they can also perhaps be unuseful. So I'm so excited to grab her book. I just went and bought it on Audible, The Mindful Millionaire by Lisa Peterson. Lisa also has a site where you can learn all more all about what she does and how she helps people. And that is wealthclinic.com, wealthclinic.com. Um, I hope you appreciate this as much as we do. We're so excited to, to have this conversation with Lisa. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. I, I'd, I'd like to take you back, Lisa. You, you mentioned at the beginning kind of this concept of enough. Um, and our culture doesn't really allow us to define enough. Can you help us and unpack that a little bit from your experience? What have you discovered working with clients? Like, how does one define enough? How does one feel enough? Can you can you help us kind of walk through that? Yeah, I think the first thing that I just that comes to mind, and then maybe we can kind of converse about it, is that just like I said, I did this. 
we use money as a barometer or like a measuring stick for value. We've been mm-hmm. taught like our value as a human being, especially in the West, is connected to how much money we have or how much money we're making. And so one of the reasons why I think nobody talks about having enough is nobody feels like they're enough. Mm. So you don't even open that conversation because you're so busy trying to prove to yourself and to the world that you are enough that you lose your way and actually understanding that the only place that your sense of enoughness is going to, it's only going to come from inside of you. Mm. It's not going to come from anything outside of you. You have to decide that about yourself. Mm. I love that. So I love it. So, you know, ask me a question maybe, or or what comes up for you as I say that. Yeah. So, and again, we're kind of, kind of just playing off what, what either we're personally feeling or what the audience might feel. It's, I I think, and I, and I agree, like we're a competitive society where like, let's, let's go to sports, right? As soon as somebody wins a championship in a major sport, the first question on the reporter is like, like, how does it feel? And then like, what's, what are you going to do for next year? Right. It's always like, Mm -hmm. are you going to repeat? Right. It's never a point where you kind of go, oh, let's like let's breathe. And often they have to be like, well, I want to enjoy this for a minute. But it's always about the next thing. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just ingrained to us as a society. You know, our athletics, our education system is always about like it, it, the message is you're never enough like that. Mm-hmm. That's what is essentially right. told to us. And, you know, and I think our parents and we as parents unconsciously probably just continue that narrative because it's what was ingrained in us. So how does one break out of that where it's like, you go, no, that's not, that's not the narrative I'm choosing to live anymore. Like I'm going to determine that and I'm not going to let outside forces allow allow them to put measurements on me. I, I do wonder if this is left over from like the industrial revolution and like the, the things that had to happen to people to sacrifice their lives in pursuit of building and working hard and mm. creating. And it's just gotten like melded into the culture that we live in because yeah. we, it's the sea we're swimming in. I think this is why it's hard to unpack is, is yeah. it's based on this com- competition and this idea that you have to do more. You have to do more. And then even for me as a parent, I've got two children, a son who's going to finish high school in May, and then a daughter who's 25. And I think even when we think, okay, well, if I come off the, if I come off of the expectations and I'm, I come off of all of that and I'm like, you're good, you're enough. There's a fear that our children won't have any drive perhaps, Mm, or won't want to go like do the job that they need to do and take care of themselves. And so I can see it everywhere in the sea that I'm swimming in. It's not like right. I'm not in it. I'm just questioning a right. lot of it. Sure. And we're par- <laughs> we're participating in it, right? 100%. I mean, like, you know, right after this this interview, Lisa, I I coach high school basketball. Like, I couldn't go into the locker room and say like, "Hey, we're good enough." <laughs> like, that's just not done, right? It, it like they would be like, "What kind of coach are you?" Like, we're <laughs> always trying to push them to be more than they are. 
right? We're always trying to get them to push to their limit. We want them to give 100% effort. So for me, it's always, it's always a struggle, right? It's like, how do you balance that? right? Because I'm both trying to live where like I'm satisfied with who I am and that I have enough, right? I, I have everything I need, but yet my my business, my vocations, everything is like, no, you have to do more. It's, it's a struggle. It's a big struggle for me. Yeah. There's a quote um, by Frederick Buckner that says, this, this place of joy, of abundance is where your greatest joy meets the world's greatest need. Mm-hmm. And I return to this again and again, because I think that you think about the movies, the sport movies, I don't know, t- Return of the Titans. I, you think of like these sports, we'll, we'll stay there as best as I can, because it's not like I know a lot. But Brandon doesn't, Brandon doesn't either. So <laughs> I watch the movie. I yeah. can, okay. I so he watches the sports. movies. I that's that's the football. Is that like the oblong yeah. ball? That's yeah. the one. Okay. okay. Yeah. It's like a, together. like a spaceship. Okay. Gotcha. I wouldn't I'm gonna guess that the movies around sports that bring out the best in us are not about the competition as mm. much as the love of the sport, of the activity. Mm-hmm. And that if you don't tap into that passion and that joy of the activity then you are all about the competition and the mm-hmm. winning which isn't what brings the greatest joy ultimately mm-hmm. so so it'd be yeah. compare let, let's compare it then to a hike through rocky mountain national park which or even sedona you obviously are going towards the destination but if your if your goal is to just basically get to the end and say I did it, you've missed everything along the way. Is that mm-hmm. is that kind of what you're reflecting there? Yeah, I get chills, hundred percent. And Good. and this is the funny thing, right? You teach what you most need to learn. Yes, I was like a destination person. Mm-hmm. I didn't even look on the way, and and that has been the shift in my life, like living in the moment looking around. And I mean, people around me sometimes are probably like, she's kind of weird because I am totally in awe about things that other people are like, yeah, what's the big deal? I'm like, did Mm. you see that? This is the most amazing thing that, because, because it is (laughs) (laughs) when you opened your eyes and your heart to this blissful experience of life and you're not so distracted at just getting to the final destination. Oh, I love it. I, if I could share, I think this has been something for me has wrestled over the years with goal setting, you know, because, you know, the, the narrative is all about goal setting, goal setting, goal setting. And, and I've done that for a long time. And like, it's the end of the year, like, yeah, didn't hit that, didn't hit that one. And I think what I've learned in talking with, with different people in this space is that one of the drawbacks about the idea of the goal is that it's a future. It's a future thing. And I cannot control all variables. And it causes me to live a year from now, 10 years from now. And I'm not trying to poo-poo goals at all. I I think there's absolutely some kind of a balance to be struck. But what I realized is when I was doing it, it, it was what I was looking at my happiness was outsourced to another time. And so mm. this idea of, you know, which is probably, you know, it's so cliche, but it's so very true is what you're hearing is enjoying the journey and the destination. It's absolutely critical 
finding it, it, because see this is the only moment we have is right this this now right now uh so I, I love that you're bringing that up and and can you can you talk about how what i heard earlier what you're saying about your experience is is the drive the goal setting um to, to become a self-made millionaire and then getting to a point of realizing well am I enough? What is enough? And it sounds like you found your, or you're, you're finding that middle ground between these two polarities and maybe it's in your book, maybe it's your notebook. Would you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I think that the big shift that had to occur for me to be on the other side is the inner narrative that guides us. And, and because I work with a lot of folks, like I'm a coach, I'm a business coach. I'm also I guess, spiritual coach mm -hmm. in helping people understand what is that split in personality that many times we have where we're here now doing something, but then there's this other voice with this whole narrative of like, what's happening? Like, it's like the sportscaster, like, and then, and then, and until those become one, you're going to be struggling with inner demons first and foremost that are that are guiding you in not so helpful ways you will not feel enough if there's a narrator that's like criticizing or judging yourself or others constantly happening you are too you're living two separate lives and and it's hard to reconcile those and it's in, and you don't feel enough right because that voice is constantly there and, and it can show for some of us, it shows up as we're really critical of others. Mm. And what I mm. found is, is once you deal with the realization that you can't be judging others or criticizing others in any way, shape or form without it actually translating to what you're doing to yourself, like they go together. Yes. 100%. You're, yes. You're 100%. Your head, oh, yes. yes. You know, you, <laughs> so some of us have one and not the, we think we don't have the other, but they actually are both present period. Yeah. And you got to stop it. You've got to be mindful enough to notice that that voice is not the voice of God. That voice is literally, in most cases, a very destructive voice in your, in your consciousness that has to be squashed. And, and the only way most of us can do that is by, you know, looking at our shadows, uncovering the pieces of ourselves that we despise and mm. bringing them back home into this wholeness of, mm. of who we are. Powerful. That's very favorite, that's very powerful. One of my favorite yeah. quotes is that relationships are mirrors and that uh, you know, walk around and, and Bob and I have talked about this, you know, being in different social environments that we go in is like, well, that person kind of rubs me the wrong way. And like, okay, <laughs> well, how come, Brandon? What do you see <laughs> in that person that is in you that it rubs yourself the wrong way, that annoys the hell out of you? Because that's <laughs> what they're showing you. It's just it's 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 <laughs> awful. It sucks, but it's it's true. It's like, God, why am I so annoyed by that guy? Oh, because it's me. <laughs> <laughs> I do the same damn thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's why the holidays are so hard for people. Oh, because yeah. we're being confronted with these aspects of ourselves that we don't want to see. And yet Uncle Bob shows up and you're like, oh, yeah. I don't want to spend any time with this person. But if you really got down into what was going on, you'd realize that there's something that you're not wanting to look at about yourself. <laughs> oh, my. Uncle we Bob is reflecting it. We stepped <laughs> into it now. 
Yep. <laughs> Especially with the word Bob. That's great. Yeah. Oh, you triggered, triggered. Uncle Bob's a cool uncle, though. Okay. Yeah. But is he is he the fun uncle? Ah, uh, no. I'm known as the, the fun, fun uncle, uncle in my family. I'm uh, known as, as the funkel. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I'm the wise. I'm the wise uncle. Yeah. 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 You're the wonkle. I'm the funkle. So, so Lisa, um, one of the things that jumped out in the research that our producers did is um, kind of, I mean, the the experience with your father, just one of the worst things a human could experience, but um, it's not the only thing you've lived through. Um, can you talk about that incident and with the doctor and share yeah. a little bit about how that transformed you? Yeah. So in 2013, I was sitting in my doctor's office right before Christmas, December 17th, never forget that day. Mm. And a man walked into a pretty large clinic, looked at me and a few other people that were kind of just looking at the door for some reason, uh, pulled out a very large gun and said, you might want to leave now and proceeded to go on a shooting rampage and ultimately killed the doctor that I was waiting to see who I had been working with for several months and developed a really close relationship with, um, was there with a vendetta against a different doctor, but my doctor got involved. He shot a patient, ultimately um, shot the doctor he was trying to kill and then killed himself. And um, Hmm. I was, I was there. I, Thankfully, did not see him shoot people, but trying to get out of a third story building where people are screaming and shots are being fired in all directions was um, a huge turning point in my life. I um, didn't understand, but in that moment, I realized like this feeling of absolute terror of like, we're being hunted was the feeling Mm -hmm. that came. And I mean, it's, you know, back then in 2013, which wasn't that long ago, this was still more rare than it's become today, sadly, right? Very, very sadly, but yeah, very true. Yeah. So it changed me forever, but not in a way that maybe a lot of people would have been affected. What happened for me is I ended up staying with this group of nurses. I got out of the building it was very cold in Reno, Nevada. These nurses had run out with their, without their car keys, without their jackets, without their purses. And so I got as many people in my car as possible. And we drove across the street and we kind of watched the whole world unfold as the SWAT car showed up and everything. And we were talking to people on phones that were still in the building, not knowing what was going to happen. And I ended up going to the police station later that day. I had a really bad feeling that my doctor was hurt. He was that kind of person. I felt like he would get involved. I just Mm. had this sense and I wanted to know. But when I was at the, when I was at the doctor's office, this is me 14 years into a daily meditation practice, which I know has changed me. Like I can't even begin to tell you how much it's changed me, but me being in that experience of, you know, four hours at the police station, watching it all unfold taught me something about myself, even though I was still in that fight and flight and, and all the hormones and all the things that cortisol and all the stuff that happens, there was a energy of like, I know something that could help everyone here. Like the Mm -hmm. mindfulness of what I've gone through with my dad and trying to help myself and healing and teaching meditation and teaching mindfulness. I was like, I have tools 
that are not supposed to just be left with me anymore. Like I'm actually supposed to start sharing this with the world. And it was a really big calling. Like it wasn't a coincidence that I was there that day. Like I was there with, with a purpose. And at the time I was a financial advisor and in that moment and in the next 24 hours, I was like, I'm walking away from my job and my career. I built up a very successful practice and I was like, I'm not supposed to do this anymore. I'm actually supposed to get out there and start teaching about money and mindfulness. And, and that's exactly what I did. It took me about three months to kind of wrap up my affairs and close down and walk away from, by the way, people don't walk away from those sorts of jobs very often because you have a guaranteed stream of income for the rest yeah. of your life. I mean, yeah. it was unheard of and my peers could not believe it because I was so successful. And I was like, I'm done. I'm supposed to go do something else. And, and I started this business as a result. Had you been having those thoughts prior to that event? I was, and, okay. and I talk about this in the book. Like I started having um, like premonitions and things happening and I've had them all my life being at the, what would seem to be the wrong place at the wrong time. But then in retrospect, it's like, well, why was I, I, I lived in San Francisco in the Bay area. I had a meeting let me step back. When I was seven years old, I had a premonition that, that thanks to watching some like sci-fi thing on TV about Nostradamus. And I was like, I knew that the World Trade Center thing was going to happen based on some things that they had researched and talked about. This is in 1978 or something. Wow. I had a meeting in the World Trade Center at 9.15 on 9-11, even oh. though I lived in the Bay Area. And that okay. meeting got canceled at the last minute. And I was still there in New York City. My husband thought I was in the building. But mm. like, if I went through my life, it's been a series of these crazy situations where I was there or close enough that was like wake up call. Like you're supposed to do something in your life that's bigger wow. than what you think. And um, and so when that happened, when that shooting happened, I was like, okay, God, you know, or whatever's going on, I've got the message. I am not supposed to just do my little normal life and just, you know, help people with their money. There's something bigger here. Mm. And I got the memo. Now I got the chills. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, founders, Bob Brignaris. Thanks for being a listener. Thanks for tuning into the show. Uh, We have reached top 10 status Uh, meaning that we are one of the 10% most popular podcasts in the world, if that means anything, but we're really excited about it. Uh, Here at Feed Stories, we are all about stories. Uh, We love sharing stories with our guests. We love sharing stories of our clients. If you have a great story to tell, and I imagine you do, uh, we can help you get it out. Uh, We had a great conversation with somebody today who wants to tell their story better, and we'd love to tell your story. Head over to feedstories.com, take a look around, look at the examples. We would love to help you scale your business, share your story, generate more revenue. As we go into 2023, we want to set you up for success. Head over to feedstories.com and book a call with Brandon and I. Now back to the show. You're listening to The Innovative Founder. Now, back to your hosts, Bob Rickneris and Brandon Boyd. That that is amazing. Now it's not the, and surprisingly, it's not the first time I heard a story from somebody who was supposed to be there on that day. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a lot of people who like there was just there was things at play, or things in motion. That's like, no, that's not going to happen. Um, 
or like supposed to be on one of the flights. You know, I, I've I've had conversations with that. That that's amazing. So yeah, having that going, okay. Sometimes the triggering event, right, is like, okay, finally, this is like I, I don't need any more signs. I need to move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you really really do you want another sign after that? It's like, wait, no. like uh, I'm gonna stop. <laughs> no. Like, thank you. Got the got the memo. Just let me get my affairs in order. But yeah, I'm moving. I'm moving on. Thank you. Yeah. And I'll I'll say one other thing about that. And and maybe this is calling to people too who are listening or watching, and they're like, I'm getting those signs and I'm not listening to it, but I just want to lean into this a little bit more. Like, I don't have a huge following, but maybe, you know, 30, 50,000 people on the planet know about my work as a result. We've sold over 10,000 copies of The Mindful Millionaire. But here's where it gets weird. I met Ariana Huffington in a line at a conference <laughs> in, a on the, in the bathroom right after I started my company. And we talked and she's like, you should write for The Huffington Post. I was like, yeah, I'm like a terrible writer, but I will start <laughs> writing for The Huffington Post. So I start doing it because she invited me. I was like, you don't turn that down. So then within a few months, the agent who ultimately represented me for the Mindful Millionaire came to me and said, what you're writing about is so different. I would love to help you. I don't call, reach out to anybody. Like she's one of the most successful agents on the planet, reaches out to me. is like, I'm going to help you write this book. I think that you've got a book in you. And sure enough, several years later, I've written the book. We take it out to shop, you know, with big publishers. St. Martin's Press ends up deciding to publish it. I mean, it's crazy stuff because this would be things like I wasn't a great writer, but I had so much help and so many supportive things yep. along the way that helped me. And I wrote that book. I had to write a million words to get down to the 90,000. Like I poured my heart and soul into that book. Mm, yeah. But you should, I mean, the people who read this book from all over the world in Afghanistan, people write to me and I talk about chakras and chakras and Islam, they don't necessarily go together. Like, no, 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 like, they do not. Yeah, but people are like, it's okay. I get it. It's all one. Like, the book has touched so many lives and opened people up to possibility. And I didn't think I had it in me. Definitely did not ever think that this would have been possible. It's just, mm. I leaned in and said, I'm willing to try. Well, the, the universe certainly tapped you on the shoulder and said, Lisa, you're a messenger. So it certainly helped you move to that place. That's wonderful. It's it's interesting because what you're describing in this enoughness, you know, you're talking about the financial and what does financial enoughness mean? And then you're also talking about what does it personally, spiritually mean to be enough? And just from a, a perspective, looking and listening to the story is you had to be convinced you were enough to write a beautiful and powerful book to help others right so you're yeah. you have your spiritual practice of meditation and you've had these traumatic things happen and you know you were in in, in the habit of healing yourself and then it's but you probably would have never written the book it, unless there had to be signs right there had to be something some kind of catalyst to say okay you know, let's do this. And other than Ariana Huffington tapping you on the shoulder. Yeah, exactly. The right, exactly. Like, there you go. You know, like, or, come or, on. <laughs> yeah. It's it's like we're we're trying to convince ourselves all the time we're enough. And and then it's beautiful how the universe reaches out and say, well, let me just show you. Let me just boost your confidence a little. Let me get you 
let me, you know, let, let me help you with that. Yeah. Oh, that's such a beautiful reflection. Thank you for that. Mm. Yeah. Like I, I do really believe that I didn't just like most people, I didn't think that I was enough. I didn't think that anyone would buy a book or, you know, negotiate a very, very successful, crazy successful book deal. I mean, those things aren't things that I think we can dream about them, but then we're like, oh, how do they happen? And I think what yeah. I had to do, right, going back to that initial teaching, I had to let go of the control. I had to let go of thinking that I was in control of this life mm -hmm. and say, well, what, what is possible? Let, let's work together, right? Co-create with the universe will be very woo-woo in Sedona. Like, I do feel like that's what's happening now. And to me, that's, that's abundant. That's abundant mm -hmm. living. Yeah. Well, since you mentioned it, we need to go there. You, you talk about money and chakras. Let's, let's go there. <laughs> Brandon, and I, Brandon and I love this stuff. T I tell do. us a little bit about, I do, I do. and we, we, we want to say something for people to get the book. You know, we want them to get the millionaire mindset, but talk a little bit about what our appetite on what, what you help people with in regards to, to this particular aspect. So what I uncovered in all these years, so over 30 years of working with people and their money is that there are these patterns that we repeat over and over again uh, around scarcity. And when I looked at all the experience I had had of being people's financial advisor, mortgage banker, or insurance adjuster, like I've done so many different financial jobs, I saw the practical aspects. But when I became a coach and started helping people with their mindset, I saw these same things showing up deeper inside of like, why do we do these things from a practical standpoint? Why do we create these messes? Why do we spend so much that we get in debt and we can't get out of debt? Why are we addicted to debt, for example? Why are we um, great at making money, but we can't keep it? Why are we great at making money, but we can't invest it? Like, it just, it was amazing how there were all these patterns. And one day I, well, after I moved to Sedona, interesting enough, in 2016, chakras are everywhere and I had known about them and I had done meditations with them, but something clicked with me where I took all these patterns I had seen as a financial advisor and smashed them up against my understanding of the chakras, which by the way, were motivated. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is very closely aligned with the chakras. So if you mm -hmm. like Maslow better, just stick with Maslow because that's wow. what I used to teach on. He was inspired by the chakras. It had something to do with what he ultimately created in that hierarchy of needs. So I put this, these hierarchy of needs next to what was happening with people financially, smashed them together, used all my clients to kind of test these ideas. <laughs> like, and the next thing you know, I was like, this is a, this is a framework that could change wow. people's lives in the way that they understand their relationship with money. And that became the book. And that became the things that I've been teaching about ever since. Wow. I love it. In my head, I just got a diagram of chakras, Maslow's, and you, and your, <laughs> your system, however, I'm visual. So it's a, so interesting. So fascinating. So what, what was, what was like, um, once, once you've made this, okay, you've, 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 you've discovered nuclear fusion. Okay. <laughs> right. Um, how, tell us a story of how you took this and actually then maybe they were clients. You didn't call them guinea pigs, right? They were clients, <laughs> but you, but you did do some testing. Sometimes I did. I think yeah. they were like, okay, whatever. 
So, so how did you take this learning and apply it to your clients and, and what did they experience as a result of that? practical experience of somebody who had learned the model and then they translate it because it's really simple to understand. Um, this is around the heart chakra. The heart chakra has to do with like giving and receiving. And we, many of us have been taught it's better to give than to receive, but that creates like a martyr. <laughs> like yes. that creates a very yes. worn out person. <laughs> that, creates an, that creates an uncle Bob. Yes. <laughs> so, so one gal came across the framework and she was like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting because the minute she heard about this like balance with giving and receiving, she got flashbacks to her childhood. And in her case, she had grown up in a very affluent home. All of her needs were met. Her parents, um, she was a single only child. Mm. She got a car, brand new car on her 16th birthday. Uh, whenever she wanted something, it would appear. And what she realized in learning about the framework around the heart chakra and money, which is all about having a balance between giving and receiving back, giving and receiving back, that there's some balance there, that, that we understand the importance of both parts, right? She realized that now that she had started a business, she was having a ton of trouble asking for people to pay for anything. She just kept giving stuff away for free constantly. Mm. And when she saw the model, she started to see how when she was growing up, not because of anybody's fault, but because money was so prevalent, whenever she needed something, it got bought and given to her. Okay. She had equated asking for anything or receiving anything as love. Oh, wow. So every time she went out to ask for people to pay her, she felt like she was asking them to love her. Wow. And she was like, well, that's so silly. Like, that's not true. Like, that's not what I'm asking them to do. I'm just asking them to pay me money for the services rendered. <laughs> you see, yeah. it's so simple sometimes. Like, just understanding that there were some things that happened to us, sometimes traumatic, sometimes not. In her case, it wasn't. But when we go to the real world and we start living, we don't understand that there's these unconscious biases that are coming and hurting us in our business, hurting us when it comes to holding on to money. Another one of my clients I talk about in the book, she'd grown up in a home where there was severe deprivation to the point where her mom wouldn't even buy fresh milk. She only got powdered milk, canned mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. Money could not be spent on any kind of indulgences. Mm. And so she had grown up and her mom was always saving money, right? So depri right. deprivation to save. Mm -hmm. So when she got into my work and she started questioning the assumptions, she realized that this saver in her mom had caused her to hate the saver in herself. She couldn't save money. She was making hundreds of thousands of dollars, but she didn't want to be like her mom and save uh -huh. that money because it yep. meant deprivation. So yes. she was out there buying everything. Money would go through her hands. I kid you not, this woman was like, did not have much to go on, even though she was making lots of money. Now she's a multimillionaire just by learning this one thing mm -hmm. that 
we were ready to break, right? She was ready to let it go. And I was ready to help her realize that that pattern and that relationship with her mom, just because her mom behaved that way, did not mean it was bad to save. In fact, there was all these great things and and there's breakthroughs and there's tears and there's all kinds of stuff that we got to let go of. (laughs) But on the other side, it, it worked. Like it works to like a crazy degree because once we question the assumptions and we look back and we're like, well, that was stupid. We don't do it anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Does that help? Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. I feel like you did a little therapy on me right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Lisa, as, as, as you go out, you're now doing coaching, mentoring. Um, I, I, I mean, people are probably reading the book and hiring you, but like, what, what are people actually is it does do they realize before they kind of work with you that they've got some sort of issue around money is and then like have they got to the point where it's like i need i need to fix this um is is that kind of where you step in yeah it's you've got to be at a place where you're like i've tried everything else because if you've heard the idea of like ego ego death or ego disillusion like yes the work that I do, I am not a therapist. I've never gone to a therapist in my life. I've used spiritual teachings to help me live the life that I live. And so it doesn't come from like, let's talk about it some more. Like we're going in and we're doing deep soul excavation in a very wow. short amount of time. Most people don't want anything to do with that. But the people who are like, this is a big deal. Like I'm going to lose my relationship with my partner mm. by, or mm. my my spouse or my business partner, like it's when people have gone through all the possibilities and realized that they do not have the tools and maybe Mm -hmm. even therapists. A lot of my clients have seen therapists for many years. They've helped them with a ton of stuff, but unless you have worked with money for a really long time, like I have and done my own work, it's hard to find this stuff. Like it's, Mm. it's really hard. I just see it. Like, I'm like, Oh, I have people answer a few questions. I can see things in a very short amount of time that most people would take years to identify. And it has a lot to do with working with people and their money for so long I think that that's the benefit of the work that I do is it's not just the inner work. It's also the outer representation. I'm looking at like what's going on in your relationship with money. Where are you getting snagged? And then I'm helping people trace it back to the root of why that pattern is happening. And then I'm helping them let that go, that let it go and then create a new way of seeing themselves and that relationship with money. And, um, it's very powerful because only people who are ready want to yeah. come and work with me. Sure. Yeah. And that's, you know, that that's the role of a coach, role of a specialist. Uh, it's, you know, people need to be ready. Um, mm-hmm. they, they need to be ready to change before the change will happen. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's perfectly acceptable. It's a great, it's just a great way to do business. It's more satisfying for you to work with people that actually want to help themselves, but it also it's most satisfying for them because they've made that decision. Um, so Lisa, like if, if people aren't interested in the book already, I, I don't know what's wrong with them. They must not be ready, <laughs> but I'm assuming millionaire mindsets, the name of the book, correct? Or it's my, uh, now you've got me confused. What's it called? The Mindful Millionaire. Millionaire. I am very sorry. The Mindful Millionaire. Um, Very sorry about that. So the Mindful Millionaire, uh, 
available everywhere. I'm sure books are sold, including Amazon and all those good places. Um, but also I'm assuming you have uh, resources, website, love for you to share a little bit how you can help people beyond the book. Yeah, a great place to get started is to come to wealthclinic.com forward slash vision. And if you enter your information, you'll get the first chapter of the book. You'll get a um, really cool meditation that I am guiding you through to kind of mm. look at what's going on inside that relationship with money and a few other goodies. So a, a nice way to see if this is something that you want to try. And what a great, do what a great domain name, Wealth Clinic. Love yeah. that. Oh my goodness. So, yeah. so descriptive. It's hard, to, <laughs> it's hard to find really good domain names these days, but when like you come up with something, um, Brandon and I had this phenomenon, like we'll think of something and we'll go, how is this domain still available? Right. But this, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah. like this, what, what a great domain. Lisa, this is, this has been eye-opening. It's been inspiring. Yes. It's been convicting. <laughs> like I'm I'm literally gonna go to Amazon after this interview and get this book. And I can't I see it why. It's in yeah, my Amazon right now. There it's it already in his cart. He's checking yeah, out before the, the interview's cart. over. He's being checked out. No, it's just I did wonderful. the audio book too. It's oh, did you? Voice. I, mean, no. I did. Yes. Well, all right, okay let me ask this because is, is there lots of like do I have is there lots of assignments in the actual book or is it is it kind of because I notice I'll get an audiobook, then I'll actually buy the physical book because the audiobook yeah. has, oh, go and do these exercises. And I'm like, I'm driving, I cannot. You know, so, um, it's got both parts. I, okay. I People end up buying both because they're like, oh, okay. And then they listen to the audio. It just, the audio, is, it's, it's good. We did a good job. I okay, think. good. Very good. Good. Well, everyone, that this is uh, this has been a great conversation, Lisa. Thank you for taking the time out thank of your you. day to share. Thank you for writing the book. Thank you for listening to Ariana Huffington. Thank you for <laughs> not going to that meeting in the World Trade Center so we can yes. meet. Just amazing how how uh, intricate and amazing the world is. So thank you, thank, thank you for you, what you do, and we can't wait to uh, share this with our audience and uh, can't wait to get our hands on the book. Thank you so much for this time. I really, really have enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to The Innovative Founder with Bob Regneris and Brandon Boyd, a show featuring the real stories of entrepreneurs making their beautiful dent in the world. If you like the show, let us know by leaving a rating. If you're an innovative business founder yourself with a story to tell, then you might just be our next guest. Reach out to us on InnovativeFounder.com and tell us your story. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on The Innovative Founder.